Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I am Paul. And I am Jamie. And we are back to talk to you about part two of the Tyneside Strangler. It feels like it's been forever since it has been we've forever. heard part one. Yes, it has been forever, and I, I do want to touch on that for just a second. Okay. So, and I don't want anybody to think that this is an excuse, but it kind of is. Jamie and I both. <laughs> it's Jamie, not an excuse, but it is. But it is. Jamie and I both work very hard at our jobs. We have full-time jobs. You know, sometimes it's it's hard for us to get in here and record through the weeks. And I, I just want to say. We're sorry. We're sorry. I work out of town mostly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it here lately, it's been kind of chaotic at work. It has. It has. And then Jamie also she takes she takes very good care at at her job for her company she does a lot of things for her company and uh, then she like a rock star comes home and takes care of everyone in the house and so uh it's really hard for us to get in here and do what we need to do so um, no excuses though i mean we we are you know we are bringing this to you when we can we definitely want to try to get to a two episode a week. Yes, definitely. Giving you guys two episodes a week, and so we, we will try harder. So yeah, because one of our main listeners, who also happens to be my really good friend, she makes sure to tell me when she's ready for another episode. Yeah. Oh, an update on her: she got another speeding ticket. If she's that girl, a damn thug. If if that girl does not keep her foot out of that gas pedal (laughs) her husband is gonna strangle her yeah no pun intended so yeah we probably shouldn't be talking about strangling with the podcast that we do i know i know but everybody i guess probably what he's trying to say is please bear with us yes please do because we enjoy doing this and we enjoy seeing all the listeners that we have thank you to everybody who is listening and absolutely. keeps coming back absolutely and we do have new countries we do new states in the united new states. states and we thank y'all for joining us yes thank y'all for coming back and listening uh we do we have seen that there has been a lot of uh, new listens on our episodes yeah we've had like an uptick we have and so we appreciate you guys more than you know. Yes. Um, we are not getting paid for this. No. As you can see in our episodes, we do not have ads. No. And things. And so maybe that'll come later. I'm not sure. Maybe <laughs> maybe we'll hire somebody that, that'll do the editing because it does take me a long time to edit. And, 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 that, and that, does, that is true. That does take a long time. And we so, do have a 19-year-old that we can teach to do that during the day. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. yeah. But we may not have to pay him. <laughs> that's even better yeah so but you know if we get down the road and there's a where we do have to hire somebody maybe or or we get sponsored yeah um you know maybe get on a network or something like that maybe we'll start running ads i don't know but right now we are enjoying what we're doing and, and you are getting us ad free that's right so having said all that let's get into this shall we <laughs> We shall. Because this is this is a lot of information. 
And I tried to shorten it up, mm -hmm. but there's really no way of shortening this story of Mary and Norma Bell. So you see my dilemma every time yeah. I'm working on something. I know. I'm work we're fixing to record a part two to mine, but I'm also yeah. working on another one and it's probably gonna be two parts. Well, I have a confession to make. Okay. So we had already recorded your part two. We did a few days and, ago. And it was edited. And it was perfect. It was perfect. The sound quality was incredible. Yes. I was so happy that, you know, we got it recorded. We got it edited. It was ready. I should have uploaded it that night, and I didn't, and I shut the computer. And when I woke up in the morning and, and went in there. That bitch was gone. It was gone. And I, I, I can only say that maybe the computer did an update overnight. I, I'm not sure. That's possible. And so when it shut off to restart, it lost it. And that, that's, that's on my dumb ass. So. It's okay. We're going to re-record that after this episode. And we're going to try to get both of these episodes to you as quickly as possible. That's right. So please, like she said, bear with us. But uh, we're going to get started with this one because it's going to be a long one. Um, there's a lot of information to cover. I wanted to bring you guys back up to speed. I know it's probably been a while since you guys have heard part one, but we have an 11-year-old Mary Bell and a 13-year-old Norma Bell, and we have two very young victims, uh, a three-year-old Brian Howell, mm -hmm. who uh, was the latest victim, and uh, a four-year-old Martin Brown. Both of them, well, Martin Brown, they, they didn't find any evidence of uh, trauma to his body. Mm -hmm. There was a bottle of pills. Um, aspirin. Aspirin laid next to his body. And so they, they had ruled that death accidental or due to the conditions of the area, if right. you remember. yeah. And then Brian Howell uh, actually did show signs of strangulation. However, one of the investigators actually stated that the, with as little force that it took to strangle young Brian Howell, uh, it, the, the killer was probably another child. Right. So that's where we're at. I want to kind of remind you of what was all kind of happened. So there was a break-in at that nursery, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of vandalism that happened, and then uh, there were some notes that were left. and. I'm not going to revisit those notes. If y'all want to kind of hear what's in those notes, you can go back and listen to part one. But it, it was definitely child's writing. Right. But it was also an admission to killing Martin Brown in those notes. And then there was the drawing that uh, Mary Bell done at school in her notebook that depicted the crime scene. Mm -hmm. And also the writing in that uh, that drawing, basically, that... You know, a boy had laid down and died. Because that's how it happened. the other. But there was also things that were in there that uh, probably nobody would have known. Mm -hmm. And so her, the, the teacher thought that that was just not very unusual. And so he did, never did report it, which well, was kind of crazy. To me. I know, because I was going to say... The teacher didn't find that unusual. So what kind of kids did y'all have at the school? Right. What were they doing? Uh, and I think you even said that last time. <laughs> what the fuck were they doing? Right. Yeah. So 
I hope that that's a, a recap enough because yes. we are going to get jump, just jump right into this shit. In the shit. In the shit. Okay. The time size strength. The adults in the area were starting to wonder, mm-hmm. okay, after Brian Howe's death and things, they were starting to wonder about Martin Brown's accidental death. Right. And was it an act of murder? Police departments from several of the surrounding areas poured into this small community. They interviewed all children between the ages of 3 and 15. 3. Now, you were fixing to say it. <laughs> and I'm just going to say this, okay? When you're interviewing a 3-year-old... <laughs> I bet it didn't go well. There were probably answers to the tune of boogers, Uh um, butts, um, peepees. Oh, yeah. You you can only imagine what kind of answers they got from a three-year-old. That, that literally had nothing to, that knew nothing of what was going on. That and how much attention did these three-year-olds pay to the questioning? Yeah, I exactly. bet it did not last long. They did not understand a damn thing. <laughs> right. Okay, so they don't know what's going on. They just wanted to go get a nap. That's right. They, it's time for their nap. They were probably fussy and, you yeah. know, and all this stuff like this. Probably still experienced some of the terrible twos and things. Oh, and yeah. So they were probably unruly. I can only imagine what these investigators are going through and, mm-hmm. you know, doing all these interrogations. I say interrogation, questioning. So they're just kind of walking around the area, and they're they're not taking anybody in. They're just kind of, you know, out on the streets interviewing these kids. They would interview 1,200 children, roughly 1,200 children, mm-hmm. between the ages of 3 and 15. Now, <laughs> you got, this is really hard i'd imagine to keep straight with all these interviews that are going on and stuff detective chief inspector james dotson was basically the lead Uh on this investigation he was of the of the newcastle police department he said that during these interviews there was only a couple that stood out to police okay and that was mary bell and norma bell and once again like i said in the Part one were these interviews number 1198 and 1199. They had to do their due diligence. They had to interview the rest of the kids to see if they saw anything, to see if they heard anything, to see if they had any interactions with the victims and or possibly a a murderer. Okay, I can kind of see that. Yeah. So they had to they had to interview all this. Now, something did come out of that. Mm hmm. All these interviews, something did come out of it, and I'm going to get to that here in a little bit. But Mary Bell was actually evasive when she was told she was actually seen with Brian Howe on the day that he was killed. Mm -hmm. When Mary was confronted with this, she spun this story about she did see another eight-year-old boy with Brian on that day, but where she messed up, is she mentioned that the boy had a pair of scissors with him while him and Brian were walking. The issue with that is the fact that police never released the info about the scissors to the public or the media. Oh, shit. So, yeah. Now, that's a huge piece of information. Right. That police are now like, 
what the fuck? Uh-huh. Nobody knew about these scissors, okay? Norma was said to actually be excited about the about being questioned about the murder, and she smiled during the entire interview like it was all a joke. Damn, Norma. Yeah. Come she, on. Yeah. She was said to not react naturally to the questions that she was being asked. During the time leading up to Brian Howe's funeral, Inspector Dodson continued interviewing more of the local kids, but made a decision to bring Norma in for an official statement. However, this statement would be vastly different than what she told investigators out on the streets, you know, when they're walking around and questioning. During her second interview, Norma told Dotson that Mary told her she had killed Brian and she brought Norma to see the body. That damn Norma is still not right or die. Nope, nope. and you said that in the first episode. <laughs> I did. So according to Norma, Mary said to her, I squeezed his neck and pushed oh. up on his lungs. That's how you kill them. Keep your nose dry and don't tell anybody. That's what Mary's telling Norma. Uh-huh. That's horrible. When she saw Brian, Norma knew he was dead. His lips, this is quote, his lips were purple. Mary ran her fingers along his lips. <gasps> she said she had enjoyed it. What the fuck? Yeah. So, wow, that yeah, is evil. It is. It's evil. So, but that's Norma's story. Right. At 12.15 that night, Dodson went and picked up Mary and brought her in for a second interview. Mary was unfazed and seemed unafraid at all. Evil, I'm telling you. The following is the interview between Mary and Inspector Dodson. Now, this is, this is all quotes, okay? okay? Dodson says, I have reason to believe that when you were near the blocks with Norma, a man shouted at some children who were nearby, and you both ran away from where Brian was laying in the grass. This man will probably know you. She responds with, he would have to have good eyesight. What the fuck? Dotson says, why would he need good eyesight? He was ready to catch her in a lie. Okay. She says, because he was clever to see me when I wasn't there. She stood mm. up. I'm going home. This is being brainwashed. But Dotson wasn't about to let her go. At one point, Mary asked, is this place bugged? What? Yeah. In the end, she didn't even waver. She maintained she was not there. And you said at this time, she's still 11, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. She says, I am making no statements. I have made a lot of statements. It's always me you come for. Norma's a liar. She always tries to get me into trouble. She is not budging on her story. No, and just some of the comments that she made is this place bugged yeah. or I'm, I'm oh, done and wow. We're getting there. I'm okay. telling you, it gets much, much better. But at 3.30 a.m. that morning, the next morning, Mary was allowed to leave and go home. They had nothing. They could not get her in any lies. They couldn't, mm -hmm. they just couldn't pin anything on her. One thing did emerge from the couple of interviews with Mary. She was very intelligent and very cunning, 
Apparently. She was said to be able to smartly answer a single question asked by the investigators and immediately anticipate and answer further questions accurately before the investigators would even ask them and do this very calmly. Wow. She already knew the questions that were going to be asked, and she immediately answered them and accurately. That is just so crazy to me. The investigators were like, their jaws were on the floor. I'd be like, are you sure you're 11? Right? So Brian Howe was buried on August the 7th. Detective Dodson was there at the funeral. Mary Bell was standing in front of the Howe's house when the coffin was brought out. Oh, my goodness. I was, of course, watching her, said Dodson. And it was when I saw her there that I knew I did not dare risk another day. She stood there laughing. (gasps) What? Laughing and rubbing her hands. I thought, my God, I've got to bring her in or she'll do another. Oh, my God. Could you imagine, like, if you were that child's parents and you see this kid outside laughing and rubbing their hands together? I mean, I would think for a minute there that I would forget that's another kid because I would be wanting to... I know. Just like, I'm going to take care of you. Oh, yeah. I know. That's crazy. That's what I'm I'm saying. I mean, this this girl, this young 11-year-old girl is so conniving. It's so... But she's also very intelligent. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, um, do they ever test her IQ? No. No, they never tested her IQ. Because that would be interesting. It would be. I think that she would probably test off the charts. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, they do do a psychological test on her, Mm -hmm. and something is found, and I'll I'll get to that later. Okay. So, Detective uh, Inspector Dodson, Detective Dodson, he he is seeing all this, and he's like, I got to get this girl in. I got to get... She, we've got to get her off the streets. Uh, definitely. She is going to do this again. Mm-hmm. So with this behavior and other, and other information provided by local adults regarding the attempts to strangle other kids in the area, Dotson brings Mary in once again for an official statement. In her statement, Mary describes the killing of Brian Howe. Oh, my gosh. But points the finger at Norma. Of course she did. As the murderer. Mm-hmm. She states that Brian began crying, and Norma asked him if he had a sore throat. Norma began to massage Brian's neck and started to squeeze tighter around his neck. Mary described Norma's grip on Brian's neck as tight by saying her fingertips were turning white. Mary stated that she did try to stop Norma, but Norma shouted at her. Yeah, okay. After a few minutes... After a few minutes, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I, I did some research on this, too, by uh, research on strangulation. Mm-hmm. Strangulation takes several minutes. Right. So once you cut off the oxygen to the brain, which is basically collapsing the uh, vessels in one's neck, a person passes out due to lack of oxygen to the brain. But they don't die immediately. Mm-hmm. You have to continuously... You can't stop. You have to continuously keep that pressure on a person's neck and, and cutting off that circulation of oxygen to the brain mm-hmm. for several minutes. 
It can be as long as three to five minutes. Which means you probably need to be pretty strong in your hands and in your arms. I'm glad that you bring that up. Okay. Because there are some arteries and some vessels that it takes 20 pounds of pressure to collapse them. Oh. So, yes, you have to be strong to get to those vessels. Now, there are some that only take a few pounds of pressure, five, mm-hmm. you know, four to five pounds of pressure to collapse. So it would be easy to collapse those even if you're a child. But some of them, the ones that it would take to really kill a person, it takes force. Yeah. And the and you remember in the Martin Brown case, he was found to have no marks on his neck whatsoever. And you know, in most cases when it has when we are dealing with a serial killer that's done strangulation, you see the ligature marks on their neck. That and usually also when somebody strangled you see um I forgot what it's called, but it's like the blood vessels yeah. in their eyes. That's right. That's right. Um, have the pressure. Yeah. The pressure actually blow, uh, blows the blood vessels in their eyes and things like this. So, yeah. So, Mary was able to do this. You know, well, allegedly, mm-hmm. Mary was able to do this and not leave any marks. That is crazy. So, after a few minutes, that's where I left off. After a few minutes, Mary could tell that Brian. Now, this is Mary's account. Okay. Telling about Norma you know, doing this, Mary could tell that Brian was lifeless. Mm. She said that his face was, quote, all white and bluey, and his lips were purplish. In her story, Mary says to Norma, I've got nothing to do with this. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, they also had a dog with them, I guess, because she said something about a little lassie. Uh Uh-huh. So... She said that the that little Lassie was whining and crying, yelping, I'm, I'm assuming. Mary stated that Norma told the dog, don't you start or I'll do the same to you. When the dog kept it up, Norma moved towards the dog and tried to get her hands around its, its throat, mm-hmm. but it grouted her, and so she backed off. That dog knew it was in the presence of evil. You know, I think you might be right. You know how it is with... with animals right they They, know yeah they sense stuff right and they also know uh when you know like when someone's in distress yeah which could have been why it was whimpering exactly yeah that's exactly right so yeah maybe that's the case so mary said that norma originally told mary to go get a pen because she wanted to write a note on his stomach mary refused but she said that Norma already had a, a razor blade with her. This is, if you remember, there was a an M. There was an M mm-hmm. carved into his stomach. Investigators now turn their attention to the mysterious death of Martin Brown. Originally ruled as an accidental death due to the conditions of the area, which was stupid as shit. Right. They focused on the question of the possibility of homicide. When questioning locals regarding the victim and the two girls, police found a wealth of information about the strange behavior of Mary Bell. This included the drawing with a note depicting the Martin Brown scene and the notes left in the nursery after a break-in. But it was one boy that came forward 
that would give the investigators what they were hoping for. Oh, shit. The one boy that I talked about in part one. That was who, on the playground? Who said that he saw Mary attack Norma. Right. And scream, I am a murderer, and pointed to the house where Martin Brown's body was found. Mm-hmm. It was that boy. Okay. When he was interviewed, he told that story. Mm-hmm. So you put that along with everything else that this Detective Dotson has collected. And it's starting to point more and more toward Mary. Yeah. Yeah. So now police have a witness to Mary screaming that she's a murderer, a mysterious drawing depicting the crime scene, three other girls in the area that had contacted police after Mary tried to strangle them, and the notes left in the nursery. For good measure, the investigators obtained some of Mary's school notebooks and had a, write, a handwriting specialist compare the writing. Oh, and to it the matched. Left in the nursery, they found to be a match to both girls' handwriting. Oh. Every letter had to be examined, and it was discovered that Mary and Norma had alternated throughout the entire note. What? Yes. So yes, what you're saying is one would one would write a letter, and the next the other one would write a letter. In some cases, that was the case. In some cases, one would write a word, the other would write a word. So they took turns writing those notes, which probably, which probably explains the bad grammar and bad everything in those notes. Because if you remember, they right. were shit notes. You could get the gist of what they were saying. And do you remember the names? Well, there, there was one name that was said in there. It was a, it was a derogatory yeah. name. And then there was an, another one named Fanny. Mm-hmm. Okay. One, the derogatory one, was a nickname for Mary. Oh. Fanny was a nickname for Norma. <laughs> wow. That would come out later on in court. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. One other piece of evidence that the investigators were able to put together, mm-hmm. I talked about this a little bit briefly in part one, was the fibers. There were fibers found at both scenes. Fibers from one of Mary's dresses were found on both victims. Oh, my goodness. Fibers from a maroon skirt owned by Norma were found on Brian's shoes. Mm. Dodson put all of the information together and realized that everything Norma and Mary had told him put both of them at the scene. Mm -hmm. With this, Dodson formally charged both girls with the murder of Brian Howell. When Mary was approached and arrested, her response was, that's all right with me. (laughs) What? Yeah. He He said that when they arrested Norma, her response was, I never... I'll pay you back for this. And I think she was talking to Mary, but. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Two completely different reactions there. So the girls were transported to the Newcastle West End Police Department where they were held until trial. So the local Newcastle Police Department, they were not accustomed to housing prisoners so young. Mary, who had been a chronic bedwetter, was afraid to go to sleep at night for fear of messing up her bed. Mary became chummy with the female guards and would openly speak to them 
about her, I, I was going to say past, uh-huh. but we're going to say recent past. Okay. <laughs> she explained that when she would wet the bed at home, her mom would rub her face in the puddle <gasps> of urine. Oh. The guards described Mary as confident, intelligent, and cheeky. Hmm. Does cheeky mean like smart ass maybe or witty? Okay, witty, gotcha. Yeah. During the time leading up to the trial, even while in custody, a guard witnessed Mary grabbing the neck of a cat, a stray cat. When told to stop, Mary replied with, "Oh, she doesn't feel that. And anyway, I like hurting little things that can't fight back." What the fuck? Okay. In another incident, Mary told one of the female officers that she would like to become a nurse because, quote, then I could stick needles into people. I like hurting people. Helpa, you are not helping your case at (laughs) all. I mean, you are hurting yourself. Well, in the beginning of their stay in jail, they were restless. Mm -hmm. These girls, they were yelling at each other through the doors and there, Mary was said to have said a lot of derogatory things about her mom and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. No, anyway. So on December the 5th of 1968, Mary Bell and Norma Bell were brought to trial. The charges for Martin's Brown's murder had been added to both girls. Oh, okay. The prosecution let out by stating that whoever murdered Brian Howe also murdered Martin Brown. Mm-hmm. So the courts would hear all of this damning evidence collected on the girls. Mm -hmm. The girls would both take the stand. Norma was described as, quote, a pathetic child who is overwhelmed (laughs) by trial. (laughs) I know that's not funny, but damn. I mean. You're so damn pathetic. Get your ass over there. It, it, I would have loved to have been in the gallery of this courtroom because i i mean i was reading there they didn't have transcripts you know because again this is in england right but uh you know so that they didn't i guess make that public but to hear what people said Uh about how this went and things they were both just going at each other okay now now one said that you know mary said that norma did it norma said that mary did it so it was kind of like a she said she said competition but they would often look at each other in court lock eyes would not say anything but it was like they were talking telepathically mm-hmm. and then be on the same side together and so it it was really weird yeah but it was almost and Mary was still dominant. I was fixing to say, so also that was kind of made me think, well, Mary's the leader. So yeah, yeah. Norma probably knew what those looks meant. Yes. Like. And, and you're probably right. Yeah. So, again, I would have loved to have been in the gallery yeah. watching this. Mary, however, would maintain her intelligence and dominant manner. Yeah. So even with the lawyers, she was said to be very snappy and very witty with them and just seemed to know all the answers wow yes they could not break her after the testimony of the girls 
The defense would call the psychiatrist to the stand who examined Mary. Dr. Robert Orton testified that, quote, Mary suffers from a psychopathic personality disorder. Oh, I see that. That she has a demonstrated lack of feeling towards others and liable to act on impulse. I definitely see all of that. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, she has no remorse no whatsoever Mm -mm. she has no qualms about just grabbing anything she can by the neck and Mm -hmm. trying to kill it and doesn't even think about the consequences so no like you said impulse right exactly during the trial mary's family was not only unhelpful (laughs) mary's mother betty (laughs) would constantly disrupt court proceedings with her wailing and sobbing no very theatrical performance she didn't even want her no she didn't she just wanted attention at that point yeah mary's father billy would just sit in silence (laughs) and ignore betty's theatrical performances just you know what a shit show at one point it was stated that in all of betty's sobbing and such her long black wig was sliding off of her head. No. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. And somebody pointed that out. Yes. Wow. She even <laughs> stormed out of the courtroom in dramatic fashion, only to come back and just shortly after, uh, further distor- disturbing the testimonies. Oh, my gosh. I mean... <laughs> I'm telling you, I would love to have been there. I would have been taking bets on how long you think it's going to be before that wig falls off. Uh-huh. Yep. So, I mean, just... just wow. Just crazy. The trial would only last nine days. And after the closing arguments, the jury, which consisted of five women and seven men, took under four hours to return with a verdict. Norma Bell was found... Not guilty. Oh. On both counts. Yeah. Of manslaughter. Mary Bell was found guilty mm-hmm. of two counts of manslaughter. Not first or second degree. Manslaughter. Because of diminished responsibility. Justice Cusack, judge, pronounced a sentence of, quote, detention for life. Okay. Now, during the reading of the sentence, Mary cried. Bitch, please. However, this went ignored by her family. They could give two shits. Her imprisonment was called, quote, Her Majesty's Pleasure. So she was imprisoned by, quote, Her Majesty's Pleasure, which is a legal term in England. I was pleased to say that kind of sounds like something you would find at like a sex shop. No, 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 like no. Like some kind of toy or something. Her Majesty's Pleasure is a legal term for indefinite and undetermined amount of time. Oh, so they kind of left it open. Yes. Gotcha. So at the time of the sentencing, uh, Britain would not have experience with incarcerating young offenders. So the question remained, Where would Mary do her time? For an 11-year-old, prison was out of the question. But really, though? I mean, she's a violent offender. 
that and she was probably smarter than most of the adults in prison i would not disagree with that i mean she would be liable to go to prison and make all them women her bitches i mean seriously and probably talk her way into the hierarchy of prison that and i mean the crimes you did were adult crimes so bitch get in jail right and be an adult yeah okay asylums or mental hospitals were not equipped to house a young child she was way too dangerous for a troubled youth institution oh she would fuck them kids up. oh yeah they they would be more scarred when they come out of there (laughs) right you know the decision was made to house her at an all boys facility until she could be moved to a more appropriate facility so what was the reasoning behind an all boys facility because the kids that she murdered were boys so it's obvious that she is not intimidated by shit because this all boys facility had a special wing for Uh violent criminals i see yeah okay i gotcha in february of 1969 and remember that all this went on in 1968 in june june july or may june july and august mm-hmm. okay in december was her trial in they feb- were quick yeah in february of 1969 mary was transported to the red bank special unit mm-hmm. even though red bank was said to accept boys and girls the population was made up of mostly young boys mm-hmm. who had been convicted of some serious crimes having mary in this facility would prove to be a mistake oh shit later on okay i told you that even after the trial this gets crazy because it does she's still wilding oh yeah okay the red bank special unit was run by a former navy man named james dixon mm-hmm. during her stay there mary was provided with structure and discipline from dixon Mary would grow to respect and love him. What? Dixon would take on the strong father figure role in Mary's life that she was missing for so long because right. her her so-called father, Billy Bell, mm-hmm. the piece of shit, he's just not a father figure. Betty, Mary's mother, visited her daughter often. I'm surprised. And Mary eagerly awaited the opportunities to see her mother. What? I'm surprised by that, too. Yeah, me too. But she always appeared disturbed afterwards and acted out aggressively. Oh, okay. According to the Red Bank staff. Right. One doctor wanted Betty's visits to stop, but to suggest that a mother be kept from her daughter was unthinkable in that era. I can see that, but at the same time, she didn't want her. I mean, she sold her daughter, so. Yeah. I don't really see where there would be any loss of not having her mother. I'm going to get into that. Okay, sorry. The staff at Red Bank hated the overly dramatic and manipulative Betty. Was that wig still slipping? (laughs) It probably was. (laughs) At some point, she probably came in without it on. She played at being a mother. Of course she did. Said one teacher. Betty Bell profited from her daughter's notoriety oh there it is selling her story to the tabloids there it is and encouraged her daughter to write letters and poems that could be easily peddled to the press there it is 
That's why. I told you I was going to get to it. Yep. Betty wanted her daughter to see how she suffered as the mother of a famous juvenile murderer, said Mary. Jesus was only nailed to the cross. I'm being hammered, complained Betty. Oh, my God. <laughs> really? <laughs> so Comparing she's trying to compare herself to, to Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Jesus was tortured and crucified on a cross. And he was holy. And he was holy. She was not holy. Oh, hell no, she was. She was holy, all right. But well, I was fixing to say, if she, she was had... gaping holy. <laughs> <laughs> if she had as many dicks coming out of her as she had going in her, she mm. would look like a fucking pincushion. There you go. Yeah. Okay. The philosophy of Red Bank was to focus on the present. Dwelling on the past experiences was detrimental, and therefore Mary Bell's upbringing and eventually murders were not adequately acknowledged. One psychiatrist thought Mary was blocking out her troubled past and was being discouraged from making any attempts to discover why she killed. Because she's fucking crazy. <laughs> there, is, there is in her an extraordinary inner intensity, a, need, a neediness one can neither really understand nor handle, he said. This is the psychiatrist. She went through many counselors, <laughs> very few of which got to know her very well. I'm picturing this and her in there with the counselor, and she probably turned the questions around on them to where she was actually picking their brains. She was manipulative. Ah, uh, okay. And, and picked fight, fights with the boys and claimed to have a twin sister named Paula. Okay. Quote, I think I was inventing a twin who might have done what I really did, she said later on in life. Okay. Alter, alter ego, maybe? I, 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 I don't know. Trying to, trying to say that she had a personality disorder? Uh, maybe. Multiple personality disorder? I don't know. But I, I don't know. I'm kind of speechless on that one. In 1970, Mary reported to a counselor she had been sexually assaulted by a housemaster, which is kind of like a guard. Okay. But her account was considered unreliable, mm -hmm. although changes in staff were made soon after. Well, good. Yeah. Um, later, in 1972, she began, quote, provoking the boys and snuck into the boys' dormitories at night. Oh, shit. She wounded herself with self-inflicting cuts. At 16, she was moved to a prison. Okay which was a traumatic experience, not only for the confused and angry teenager, but for the staff as well, particularly Mr. Dixon. Oh. Had grown pretty fond of her. Right. And thought that he was making headway Progress. with her. Yeah. yeah. Now, I want to remind everybody of the book, uh, Cries Unheard by the Cyrene, is mm -hmm. the last name of the author. This woman has has spent the better part of her life devoted to this the story of Mary Bell mm -hmm. and to the even in in her later life in her even late life 
still t- stayed in contact with Mary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which was, by the way, as we'll get into it later, was very hard to do. So, okay. um, she wrote extensively about Mary Bell. And this is a quote. There can be little doubt that this transfer was destructive for Mary, wrote Sirene in Cries Unheard. Mary had to adjust from a mostly male atmosphere at Red Bank to a full women's facility at Style, S-T-Y-A-L, Style. She was a rebellious prisoner and was frequently punished, but soon adapted. Quote, what I had to do was, yes, continue to fight the system, but I had to graduate from being a prisoner to being a con. And that meant that rather rather than being open and angry, I had to be closed and crafty, which she was that. She also decided to go, quote, butch. Oh, shit. Okay. When her mother heard this, she said, Jesus Christ, what next? You're a murderer, and now you're a lesbian? That's a direct quote from her mom. Oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy that, you know, you got this woman who never wanted the child to begin with. Now, she's all in her life. Well, that and the fact of who are you to judge her lifestyle? Who are you? I mean, exactly. If that's the lifestyle she wants, then so be it. I mean, you were a prostitute. Yeah. I mean, you have no right to judge at all. Had to pop that top. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, she, you said it earlier, she tried to sell her daughter. Right. To an unstable woman outside of an adoption clinic. I mean, she never wanted this child. Right. So, and there's still the whole thing about, did she drop her out of a window? Did she force feed her pills to try to kill her? Mm -hmm. That's all still up in the air. Right. So. And I'm not downing anybody's lifestyle as far as her mother being a prostitute. Because I know some women have to do what they have to do. Right. But. You don't judge somebody if you're doing something. How am I trying to say it? That's like the pot killing a kettle. Yeah, black. I mean, don't judge somebody for what they're doing when yeah. you're you're doing something that's judgeable. Also, yeah, exactly. I guess you I, clean up your mess before you start talking about somebody else. Exactly. Yeah, that just aggravated me. I know, it, and it aggravates me too. You know, she's trying to be a part of her daughter's life. I mean, I, I get that. But you should have started a long time ago. Right. Maybe this wouldn't have happened. But we already know she's in it for the fucking money. Oh, well, hell yeah. Yeah. So, a consultant child psychiatrist who did weekly group therapy sessions at Style, Style observed that Mary went a long way toward persuading her world that she was masculine. She strutted and making up as if she had stubble on her face hmm. and rolled up stockings in the shape of male genitals and pointed this out to me in class. I think she wore these all the time. She would later ask a doctor for a sex change, but was denied. Mm, okay. So 
she's you know clearly trying to make it in this women's prison and she thinks i'm assuming that she's thinking that if she conforms she'll be able to make it through it kind of thing if she i think she's pretty much figured out that if she kind of goes against the grain Mm -hmm. she's a lot younger than some of the women in this prison and probably not as hardened as some of these women and so she figured it out what to do to make it through this and that's true but at the same time i yeah she might not be as hardened as some of the women in there but with as manipulative and as dominant as she is this is part of manipulation ah yeah that's true you see what i'm saying yeah this is part of now if she conformed and and did this persona as she was you know a lesbian then she could probably rise in the ranks inside that prison so i i mean it's smart yeah it's intelligent well i don't know it's kind of up in the air you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so she was transferred at some point to more court open prison Mm -hmm. which was a less secure facility in 1977 she escaped oh okay her and a a fellow escapee um were picked up by two young men in her brief time out mary lost her virginity the guy she slept with later sold his story to the tabloids oh hell and claims she escaped from jail so she could get pregnant Oh. She didn't get pregnant, by the way. Mary was moved to a hostel in 1980. What's a... Because I'm thinking of the movie Hostel, and I'm like, ooh. That's what a hostel is. Oh. And I'm going to tell you why here shortly. Okay. And she met a married man who got her pregnant. Oh. Okay. He said... Uh, this is this is Mary. He said he was determined to show me I wasn't a lesbian. It was hard for me not to think of sex as dirty. I can see that. When she found out she was with child, she had a moral crisis of sorts. And this is, quote, But if I think that almost the first thing I did after 12 years in prison for killing two babies was to kill the baby in me, but Mary felt she had no choice, she had an abortion. Hmm. Okay. Mary Bell was released from prison May 14th of 1980. That's why she had been moved. She had been moved to that hostel just months before parole. Oh, okay. She stayed in Suffolk, Suffolk, which is a town there. Mm -hmm. She was released on license, which meant that she was technically still serving her sentence but was able to do so while living in the community under strict probation i was going to say so is this their former probation yes okay additionally mary bell was granted a new identity to provide her with a chance at a new life and protect her from tabloid attention even still she was forced to move several times to escape the hounding by tabloids newspapers and the general public which somehow always found ways to track her down. Probably her damn mama. Maybe. Maybe so. Her first job was in 
the local children's nursery. No. But the probation officers deemed this inappropriate. <laughs> that was for very inappropriate. <laughs> right? Get the get that girl out of there. Oh shit. She took waitress jobs and, and attended a university but was too discouraged to stick with it. After moving back in with her mother, oh hell. She met a young man and became pregnant. There was a great concern over whether the woman who had murdered two children should be able to become a mother herself. Yet she fought for the right to keep her child, which was born in 1984. Mm -hmm. Mary claims to have new awareness of her crimes from the birth of her child. She was allowed to keep the child, who was technically a ward of the court until 1992, because she was technically still in custody. Oh, okay. She was released in license, which means she was still in the custody of. She says... If there was something wrong with me when I was a child, there wasn't now. I felt that if they could x-ray me inside, they could see that anything broken had been fixed. She insisted this. Somehow, Mary Bell had made a transition without appropriate psychiatric treatment. From a child killer to a loving mother, her years in reform school and prison yielded sexual abuse and drug addiction, yet she claims to have a new moral consciousness and deep sorrow for her crimes. Could this be possible? I'm I'm asking you. I'm wondering if it's just more manipulation. And these are all direct quotes from Gitta Serena's book. Mm -hmm. Okay, This this is the interviews. She has stayed in contact. This author has stayed in contact with Mary throughout this entire thing. Okay? So the way that the author describes it is Mary Bell had become two people, the child and the adult. So two different people. Okay. She eventually met a man and fell in love, then settled down in a, in a small town. But the probation officer had to inform the local authorities of her presence. Now, the local authorities, not the community. But soon the the villagers found out and were marching through the street with signs that stated, murderer out. She lived in constant fear of being exposed. So they didn't know who she was, but they knew that she was there. Mm -hmm. So one could put two and two together. Oh, somebody new is moving into town. Oh, oh, thank you for letting me know, officer, that a murderer has moved to town. It's got to be that one. Yeah, they just moved in last week. Right, exactly. So she was going to be found out. Things grew worse for Belle after she had her daughter in 1984. Belle's daughter didn't know about her mother's crimes until she was 14, when a tabloid paper was able to find Belle's common-law husband and thus track down Belle. Oh, and that's how her daughter found out. Yep. Soon, a slew of journalists surrounded her house and camped out in front of it. The family had to escape their home with bedsheets over their faces and heads. Today, Belle is in protective custody at a secret address. Both she and her daughter remain anonymous and are protected under court order. Some feel she doesn't deserve the protection. June Richardson, the mother of Martin Brown, told the media, It's all about her and how she has to be protected, as victims were not given the same rights as killers. 
I can see her point. I can see her pain. Yeah. Mary Bell remains protected by the British government today. And court rulings protecting the identities of certain convicts are even unofficially referred to as, quote, Mary Bell orders. Well, I mean, they usually name, like, laws and stuff after somebody. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, she's being protected. But there are photos of Mary Bell at the age of 51 Mm -hmm. on the Internet. So... They have a picture of her. So somebody's leaking. Somebody's leaking. Either yeah. leaking shit or she's just openly talking about it. She's protected, but maybe she's just out there, hey, I'm Mary Bell. Right. I don't know. Okay. I'm just here to say that we're not going to post her no. photo um, uh, at the age of 51. We're not going to do that. No, I mean, if we're anybody gonna... wants to see it, they can Google it and go find exactly. it. Exactly. They can do that on their own. Uh, we're not... I did come across some more information regarding her daughter. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna. I'm yeah. not gonna say that. We're not gonna post it because it's not anything. her daughter's. It's not her deal. daughter's problem. Yeah, you know. So I'm gonna respect the privacy. Yeah, and that's as far as we're gonna go with it. Mm-hmm. So at that, that is the story of the Tyneside Strangler and Mary Bell. I'm kind of on the fence, and I didn't think I would be. Because I just assumed, assumed, that she would just be going into adulthood and be just still a horrible person. But obviously, she's not. And obviously, she's taking care of her daughter. She is. Like a mother. What she's doing for her daughter, what her own mother did not do for her. It's reported that her daughter has a good life. Except for the whole having to move thing. Yeah. I'm just... But then you go back and you feel sorry for the families that they will never have their loved ones again. I never found anything that said what happened to Betty, but... That damn wig fell off. It probably did and exposed something. I don't know. But I'm I'm like you. I'm on the fence. You know, prison, just like in the United States, prison is supposed to reform criminals. Right. And I mean, and obviously it, it did in her case to, to an extent. Now, this is a very hot topic with a lot of people, but does reform happen for prisoners? I think not that as it, much as it should, not as much as it should, but I think that in some cases, no, right. It does not. And mm-hmm. I think that there's no hope for some, it depends on the crime and yeah. what has happened and at what extent. I think there's no hope for reform for some people. Right. But, but I think that I think that there is a possibility that some people can be reformed. I think there's probably more people that can be reformed than those that can't be. Do I think that Mary Bell before she had a child should have stayed in prison longer? Yes, I do. Yeah. However, I think with her having the child Yes, that changes someone. When yeah, you have I mean, a child, we've said that. Your, your whole demeanor, your whole outlook on life changes. Mm-hmm. At least for the most part, for most people it does. It did for me. For a real parent, it does because it's not all about you anymore. That's I mean, right. you got to take care of this little person That's right. first before you even think about anything exactly. for yourself. Exactly. You're exactly right. My daughter was born... 24 years ago, Mm -hmm. 
before that, I was a violent person. I was mean. Was I was hellion. I was this. And then all of a sudden, here we are. We're getting ready to have a child. And then I see her. And I thought to myself, I have to do the best that I can for this child. Right. Now, did I slip up along the way after she was born? Absolutely. But <laughs> every parent does. Yeah. But the thing about it is, look at Betty Bell. Mm-hmm. She never wanted that child, it, and it did not change her. It did not change her until the notoriety that her daughter was a child murderer. Well, in that and instance. it only benefited her. Right. I was fixing to say, even in that instance, it still didn't change her. Her feelings were still the same. She was just, yeah. hey, I can get rich off this That's now. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it didn't change her, but. I can get on board with that the fact that it probably did change Mary when she had her daughter. Right. And I, I'm still going back to the fact, okay, she was 11 when she committed these crimes. She was 23 when she was released. So it's kind of like, okay, she was 11, so, but obviously she was extremely smart. Yeah. So it's like. How long do you, I guess, penalize somebody for something they did when they were they were legally still a child? I mean, I don't know in this situation. I'm not going to give an, my opinion either way because, yeah. like I said, I'm just on the fence. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I know. I'm kind of with you. I'm yeah. on the fence, you know. I mean, I'm not condoning what she did. No, I'm not saying no. that, that she is 100% reformed. I'm, I'm just saying she's 65, and so far so good. Yeah. I mean, she's kept her nose clean. Mm -hmm. She's raised her daughter, who was born in 1984. So she's in her 20s. No, no she's in her she's 30s. Our 30s. She's in her 30s. That's just a few years younger than me. And I'm just saying, maybe it worked. Maybe it did. So I don't know. That is the story of Mary Bell. Wow. I told you. I was not expecting it to end like that. So everybody knew the story that there was a child that killed children. Right. Okay. But it was what happened afterwards that just got crazy. And then the fact that the that the British government basically, you know, when they let her out, they gave her a completely new identity, which kept getting found out. But still. And then she's still under protective custody of the government, the British right. government. So. It just gets crazy, and I thought that I would share that, this story, because you just don't hear about children killing children. Yeah. So, anyway, Mary Bell, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that was a good one. Yeah. I didn't ex expect it to end the way it did. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I saw her being an adult and having, like, her horns and her uh, pitchfork or, carrying it around. Or something happening to her in prison or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. No. Mm, okay yeah y'all stay tuned we are gonna try to get another episode recorded very soon and get that uploaded right after this one that's right we've got others that we're working on as well yes i've got a good one that i'm working on right now cray cray yeah, right? it's crazy so stay tuned for the next episode i'm paul and i'm jamie and please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye.